0: being great, being the greatest. And of course, because we're here in church, being the greatest in God's eyes. Now, if you aren't already the greatest in your own eyes or in the eyes of whatever realm you aspire to be the greatest in, Success Magazine has three tips for you. The three things that will give you confidence to become the greatest. Number one, enter a state of strong positive emotion. Number two, focus your mind on the desired goal. And number three, most importantly, put yourself first. <laughs> That's right, not very gospely. <laughs> put yourself first. <laughs> And it's something most of us know in an almost automatic way that Jesus warns against. So this morning's gospel was probably not much of a surprise when we heard him teach that whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. So do not put ourselves first. Check. Be a servant to others. Check. But then we walk out these sanctuary doors, and I will venture a bet that I'm not the only one who finds herself tempted by being great for greatness' sake. And perhaps we're drawn to achieve greatness or dream of achieving greatness just to be admired by others, to fill an empty hole of feeling unloved, or maybe to exert power over others to fill an empty hole of feeling powerless, or perhaps it's to gain wealth at the expense of others, or maybe even just enjoy the perks of being great, even mundane ones. My spouse travels a lot for work, and he has such a high frequent flyer status that that status is conferred upon me as well, even though My flying patterns would not qualify me for the lowest level of status. And it is utterly embarrassing to admit how much I enjoy being better than those poor people boarding last. Not quite the first shall be last. (laughs) We have the benefit of hearing this message several times a year and most dramatically in Holy Week when we're invited to serve one another and wash by physically washing one another's feet on Maundy Thursday. But even with this repeated message, it is a challenging call to serve one another. And it's a call that goes to the heart of what many of us secretly want, to be better than others or to be better at least than somebody. This is an elaboration on the call we heard last week from the previous chapter in Mark, when Jesus talked about following him as meaning denying ourselves for his sake. Last week, it was about being shaped in Christ's image, shaped in God's image so we can share God's love. This week's teaching fills out the concept with a picture of servant leadership. Greatness in Jesus' eyes and in the eyes of the gospel is defined in the polar opposite of societal terms. Not about being high on a pedestal of status, but leading through loving one another as peers, serving one another through that love. Now both of these teachings are about discipleship and both come after Jesus explains who the Messiah is and what being the Messiah means. And in each case, last week and this week, the disciples are befuddled because Jesus' description of a Messiah whose power comes from suffering and rejection, being killed and rising again, that does not fit their expectations. And this week, the disciples utterly don't get the idea at all. Jesus tells them that he will be betrayed into human hands. And these human hands will kill him. And, after, and three days after being killed, he will rise again. Scripture then tells us the disciples, quote, did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask. So instead of asking the embarrassing question, what do you mean, Jesus, or simply saying we don't understand, They revert to a preconceived idea of an earthly king as a messiah. They retreat and they turn to one another and start jostling for position in that royal court. And perhaps it was each one advocating for themselves as the greatest, or maybe they were lifting each others up. Oh no, you are the greatest. No, 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 you are the greatest. Not me, of course not me. I don't deserve it. Whatever the case, they begin creating a hierarchy of worthiness, a hierarchy of power that mimicked Roman society. And that would have been really tempting. This was a band of people living under foreign occupation. They were disempowered and oppressed, feeling totally powerless. And the very thought of following someone who could overturn that power, that'd be exciting we could be rulers, we could be the just ones over everyone else. So envisioning leadership not as involving status or earthly reign or earthly domination of others was simply inconceivable. And instead of taking the scary step into thinking their ideas may be wrong, the disciples clung to the bit that they knew Jesus was a loving healer, a leader, and they could only envision his reign as a political one. Now, today we're immersed in a society that is equally formed by systemic economic injustice and sociopolitical oppression, albeit in different forms. And it's equally difficult for us to envision a reign, so to speak, of love and service, A reign of such radical justice that the sacred dignity of each and every human being would be held up as equally valuable, equally beloved. Jesus, our Messiah, shows us a new way. His way is a life-giving way of love. But How do we internalize this way of love? How do we live into his teaching about the true nature of leadership? that whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King once said, anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. We all are souls generated by love. The same love. No one of us is loved more than another by God. And in that love, we're called to harness our gifts and our privileges in service of others. Now, I was inspired a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago, by the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, who s- delivered a searing gospel-based indictment of capitalism. He did it at an annual conference, an economic gathering in Manchester, He decried the devastating impact of unjust business practices by giant corporations such as Amazon. His gift is preaching. He has a worldwide pulpit. That is his privilege. And even so, he and the whole church are not perfect in following this teaching. Later in the week, it came out that some churches in England have on a small scale, economically unjust practices akin to those writ large which he decried. None of us are immune to the sways of the world. In each of our own realms, where does our desire of greatness stand in contrast with how Jesus would have us serve? Where does our desire for greatness and control Involve dominating others, putting ourselves first at the expense of others. The good news is that Jesus is with us in our misunderstanding and our fumbling. When Jesus asks the disciples what they're arguing about, they do not fess up. They're silent. But Jesus knows their hearts just as he knows our hearts. Jesus knew they were struggling with who should be the top of the heap. So he sat down right then, right there, and taught about servant leadership. Taught them that the key is not putting yourself first or even deciding who among us is the best. But servant leadership is putting the most powerless among us first. And he used a child to make the point. In Roman society, there were two extreme ends of of the economic spectrum, the very wealthy with very detailed gradations of hierarchy within the great wealth, a giant gap and the poor. Underneath the poor, the slaves, and in terms of status, children underneath that. So it's remarkable that Jesus uses a child to make his point servant leadership he says is welcoming the child welcoming everyone as equal even the littlest the weakest servant leadership is embracing loving and advocating for everyone now our engagement with christ is different than the disciples we can't sit down with him but we can sit down with scripture We can sit down in prayer, in worship, and in community with one another and wrestle with this. We will be guided. These things will teach us. And today's reading from James, the second reading we heard, paints a practical picture of what godly leadership and godly wisdom looks like in the world. It's not marked by partiality, hierarchy, hypocrisy. It's not marked by envy or selfish ambition, but rather God's wisdom, God's reign, is peaceable, gentle, pure, willing to yield, full of mercy, and abounding in good fruits of the Spirit. We are to be peacemakers and love bearers. So let's set aside our desire to be better than, or our desires for greatness, and let's invite Christ's unconditional love into the depths of our hearts. May that love fill the holes in our souls, the holes of fear insecurity, unworthiness that drive our desires for outward validation and outward greatness. And let us embrace that love so that we may go forth sharing the love with all as God's humble servants. May we all put Christ first and not ourselves.